Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. For the last several weeks together, really the last couple of months, we have been studying through the letter of 1 Peter together, and in the middle of this letter, we've unpacked a series that we have called The People of God. And I want to put a statement back up on the screen for the last time this morning as we bring this series in the book of 1 Peter to a close, this series within the letter of 1 Peter. And I want us to read this statement out loud together one last time because it's really been the foundation of everything that we've unpacked. So let's read it out loud. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. And who we are in Him shapes how we live. Let me say that to you in another way. Jesus changes your life. Jesus changes your life. The gospel brings transformation into our lives. And what we've said in this series (coughs) is as who we are in Christ, as we begin to understand our new identity in Christ, and who we are in Christ begins to be fleshed out in our daily lives, it changes the way that we live. I've given you another statement a few times through this series that I want to put back up on the screen again. Here's what I said. The Christian life is simply who you are in Christ becoming Christ in you. That's really what growth in the Christian life looks like. Growth in the Christian life looks like who you and I are in Christ becoming Christ in us, his life through us. Now, there's a lot of simplicity in that, right? Christianity is not rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, following a system. Christianity is an intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ where who you are in Christ begins to be Christ in you. That's simple, but it's not easy. Amen? Anybody that's been living the Christian life for any length of time at all understands there's a simplicity in what it looks like to follow Jesus, but there's also a daily battle that goes on, right? And Peter identified that battle early on in this series. And he talked about in, the, in, in chapter 2 the issue of our flesh and how our flesh is warring against Christ in us, right? Anybody in the building identify with that battle? Amen? Come on, don't look at me spiritual. You're at church, but it's all right. <coughs> we all have that battle going on. 
There's a war where our flesh still longs for the things of this world. Our flesh still longs to live out of who we used to be. But in Christ, now we have the freedom and the power for Christ to live his life through us. And the key, as we talked about early on in the series, is our fellowship relationship with him. Where moment by moment, we're exposing the lies of the enemy and the lies of our flesh to the truth of God. And by faith, we are grabbing hold of who we are in Christ and appropriating that to our lives and allowing the power of the risen Christ to live in and through us. I can't wait to unpack what we're going to talk about next weekend at Easter because that's what we're really going to talk about, the the totality of the gospel. The gospel is not just that Jesus died for us. The gospel is that Jesus lives in and through us. And that's really what Peter has been unpacking in this series. There was a place where Paul wrote this verse. Look at on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Listen to what Paul said. But I'm afraid... That as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You see, if we're not careful, we get led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus... And we start living out of our resources, out of our flesh, trying to do it in our strength. And we wind up in great failure, defeat, and discouragement because that's not what he's called us to. He's called us to grow in him and allow who he is to be manifest in our everyday life. Now, what Peter has been doing through this series is giving us some examples of what it looks like. He laid down this principle and then he began to give us some examples. And we've talked about several of them. We talked about... If you remember how Jesus changes your life in relationship to civil society. It changes how you relate to those in government. It changes how you relate to other people in secular society. Listen, here's what I'm saying to you. Who you are in Christ changes you. It changes your life. This isn't just a ticket to heaven when I die. There is real, radical life change that happens in the lives of those who know Jesus Christ. It changes the way I relate. Listen, if you're looking around and you relate to government and you relate to society the same way everybody else does, you need to ask yourself a question. Do I really know Jesus? Because Jesus changes the way we relate. We talked about the change that happens in working relationships, employees to employers. How Jesus in me changes the way I relate. We talked about for the last couple of weekends the the difference Jesus makes in the context of the family and the home. And how Christ radically changes the way we relate as husbands and wives. So here's a question before I even dig into the last section this morning. I want you to wrestle with a question for a minute. Has Jesus changed you? We've been holding up here for nine weekends. A mirror. That's really what we've been doing. The mirror of the Word of God. 
And we've all been able to look into that mirror and see how we measure up to the standard that is revealed in Scripture of what it looks like when who we are in Christ begins to be Christ in us. And here's the question I'm asking you this morning. Can you look into that mirror? I'm not saying are you perfect. None of us are. Amen? That's a good place to say amen. If you don't, the person next to you will say it doubly loud on your behalf, right? Now, none of us are perfect. We have not arrived. But here's what we should be able to do. I should be able to look into the mirror of God's Word and see, yes, I'm not yet everything I'm supposed to be. But Jesus is changing me. I'm not the person that I used to be. I'm being conformed moment by moment into the image of Jesus Christ. So that as I look into my life, I see today more a reflection of Christ than I saw last week and last month and last year. I am being changed. Here's my question. Has Jesus changed your life? Don't listen to a series like this for nine weekends and leave and not understand that there is a transformation power in the gospel. If who you are in Christ is not becoming Christ in you, You need to ask a very serious question. Am I in Christ at all? And I don't love you if I don't tell you that. When our service ends today, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. We've got some pastors down here at the front. If you just got a good dose of religion or morality, but who you are in Christ is not becoming Christ in you, you can't look back over your life, weeks, months, years, and see a real change. Not perfection. That's not what I'm saying. Don't mishear what I'm saying. But I should be more like Jesus today than I was a year ago. If I can't see that, then my invitation for you today is to come and give your life to Jesus and experience the transformation power of the gospel. Christ changes lives. And that's what Peter is addressing. We come to the last section of this today. I want you to, if you got your Bible, turn it to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. We're going to finish this series within this letter, and then after Easter we'll jump back into 1 Peter and continue our march through this wonderful little letter, but he brings this section to a close in verse 8 by turning to one final circle of relationships. He's talked about society, he's talked about work, he's talked about family, and now he finishes by talking about our relationships in community with brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus changes the way you and I relate to each other. And here's why that's such a big deal. Jesus says in his word, it's the way we relate to each other that authenticates the message of the gospel to a watching world. The world looks at us as brothers and sisters in Christ and sees the way we relate. And the world says, I don't know what they've got, but I want what they have. So let's read it. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Here's what he says. To sum up. You hear how he's bringing it to a close. He's landing the plane on this thought. To sum up. 
It could be translated, let me bring this to a conclusion. Let me finish this thought. Then he says, to sum up, all of you. Now that's you, plural. Where I'm from, you don't have to say that. We distinguish it for you. But out in these areas like Las Vegas, if I had been writing this, I'd said all y'all, right? We have a clear distinction between you singular and you plural that you city folks do not have, right? This is you plural. Here's what that means. He's not saying, let me finish this thought by talking to you as an individual. He's saying, let me finish this thought by talking to you plural, the body of Christ, the community of believers in totality. Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter brings this section to a close by addressing the relationships that are in this room. Brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, let me, let me sum up by talking to you as a group, to the community of believers. I want to talk about what it looks like when who you are in Christ <clears throat> becomes Christ in you in the one another relationships. And then what Peter does is he quotes from the Old Testament, a psalm where he's giving it as an example and reinforcing these things. He's trying to basically say, listen, this is not new information. I'm just reinforcing what's been taught to us since we began as the people of God. But he identifies six things that I want to give you today that are defining characteristics of Christ in me in community. Now hear that. These are identifying characteristics about Christ in me, in community. I should be able to look at my relationships in the body of Christ and see these things if I'm growing in Christ-likeness. So let me give them to you. Here's the first one. As who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, I will be like-minded with other believers. I will be like-minded. Look at verse 8. He says, be harmonious. The word harmonious is a word (coughs) that's a compound word. It it, it puts together the the concept of one and the same with the, the, the word mind. It's sharing the same thoughts and attitudes. R.C. Sproul said it this way. The way we think should be rooted and grounded in the truth of God. The values of Christ should be what shapes and frames our opinions. We should be like-minded with one another. One of the things that I love most about hope is our incredible diversity. I was 
uh, Thursday, Friday of this week, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, at a, uh, participating in a conference that was entitled The Gospel and Racial Reconciliation. I was invited there and, and had a part of a small panel discussion that I was a part of and then uh, was able to participate in the rest of the conference just listening to the, the thoughts and opinions and things that were shared. And, and it's interesting as I go to places like that, I realize how rare and how unique what you're sitting in is. I want you to look around you for a second. It's like the United Nations here, right? We have like 42 to 44 different languages that we know of spoken in our fellowship. All sorts of cultures. Listen, and not just cultural diversity. We have generational diversity. There is a, a multi-generational quality to who we are. We have socioeconomic diversity in our church. We have educational diversity. We, we have geographic diversity. There's all kinds of diversity in this fellowship. And it's one of the things that I love about who we are. We look like the kingdom of God. We look like when the, when the Bible says in Revelation, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation around the throne. That's what our church looks like. I love our diversity, but let me tell you something, what I love. I love that in our diversity, we have unity. You see, the gospel message is a message of reconciliation. In Christ, we are one body in Christ. We have differences. We have diversity. We come from different cultures. But the ground is level at the foot of the cross. In Christ, we are one. In Christ, we are one body with one head, Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the same family. And it is that value of like-mindedness that Peter is addressing here. We have like-mindedness in the gospel. Let me give you a couple of expressions of this at Hope. We are like-minded in our pursuit of truth. We're like-minded in our pursuit of truth. Now, now don't misunderstand me when I say we're like-minded. This doesn't mean that we agree on everything. Amen? (laughs) We don't. Unity is not uniformity. Unity doesn't mean that we agree on everything and see everything the same way. That's not what unity means. Here's what we're talking about. We together are like-minded in our pursuit of truth. Let me put a, a picture up on the screen that we unpack. I don't want to take too much time with it, but we unpack this in what we call shepherd training or our leadership training process here at Hope. And this is what we call the rings of truth. The rings of truth, there are really four of them. There's first of all, right in the middle, you see here, non-negotiable truth. Non-negotiable truth means that's not up for debate. It's the gospel. It's the deity of Jesus Christ. It's the inerrancy of the word of God. It's the reality that there's a heaven and a hell. Those things that we all together as Christians believe to be true. It's not up for debate. If you don't believe in the non-negotiables, then you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. That's non-negotiable. The second ring is what we call negotiable. There's some stuff in the Bible that's true that we can debate about. We all believe Jesus is coming again. Amen? We're going to vary on our views of when, right? Some hold to rapture, some hold to no rapture. Some believe that there's one coming, some believe there's two coming. Some believe there's a thousand-year millennial reign, others don't believe that. You, you can dig. Listen, here's the truth. Jesus is coming again, amen? And I've read the end of the book, we win. I know that for sure. There's a whole lot of other stuff we're not as sure about. 
And that's in the realm of negotiable. We're just not sure. We all believe in spiritual gifts. Amen? But we can vary on our interpretation of what some of those gifts are and how they're expressed in the body of Christ. We can, we can have unity in the non-negotiables and, and we can allow for some diversity of thought and opinion in some of these negotiables. Then there's a third ring we teach us called conviction. Now this is not truth. This is my personal convictions based on the truth. We all have them. We have standards about things we'll do and won't do based on our convictions that we've rooted in the truth of God's Word. Then there's a fourth ring we call preference. These really have nothing to do with truth. They're just our personal preferences. We teach these four rings. And here's what we're saying at Hope. I love the way Augustine said it. Look at this quote. Augustine said, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. That's who we are at Hope. We've decided, because of Jesus and the mission, we're going to unite in the non-negotiables. But in the rest of it, We're going to allow for some diversity and some flexibility. And in doing that, we're going to show grace and love and consideration to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we are like-minded. We're like-minded. Let me give you another expression of it. We'll just mention this one quickly and move on. We're like-minded in our pursuit of reconciliation with others. Romans 12.8 says, 12.18, If possible, so far as it depends on (coughs) on you, be at peace with all men. We understand that as a follower of Jesus, I'm to do everything in my power to make right or wrong. Unresolved conflict and relational brokenness have no place in the family of God. So we're like-minded in our pursuit of reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're like-minded. If you think you have the spiritual gift of bringing disunity you need to question whether or not you're really in Christ. Because as followers of Jesus, we pursue like-mindedness. I'm telling you, I've been doing this a long time. I've been 25 years in full-time vocational ministry. There's some people that believe their role in the body is to be a wedge. Some of you are laughing because you know who I'm talking about, right? You, you've seen them. There's some people who believe, listen, that's not Christ-like. It's not Christ-like. Now, if we're talking about issues of non-negotiable truth, it's time for us to stand up, dig in our heels, and take a stand. The problem is, we think that's our calling on everything. Listen, it's not our calling on everything. It's not. We're to be like-minded. There's, there's harmony in the body of Christ. Here's the second one. We're to do life with other believers. As who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, I will do life with other believers. Look at the second word. He says, be harmonious. Then he uses this word, sympathetic. Be sympathetic. The word sympathetic here, again, it's a compound word. The first part of this word means together with. The second part of this word means passion or emotion. So you put it together and it's the idea of sharing the same feelings or emotions or passions with somebody else. It's sharing in the joy and the sadness of others. It's this idea of being relationally connected to the point 
that when they hurt, you hurt. When they rejoice, you rejoice. William Barclay, who I often don't agree with, but his, his, his grammatical study is very good. Listen to what William Barclay said about this particular word. He said, one thing is clear. Sympathy and selfishness cannot coexist. You can't live out this principle of sharing hurts and feelings, sharing joys and celebrations with others, and just be consumed with you. As who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, I relationally connect with other believers in the family of God, and I know them so well. When they hurt, I hurt. When they rejoice, I rejoice. It's what Paul wrote in Romans 12, 15. Listen to what he said. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's why at Hope, we place such value on small group community. I mean, let's just be real honest for a minute. You're sitting in here. There may be somebody in here this week who somebody very close to them died. And you don't even know it. Much less share their emotion. There may be somebody sitting on the road that you're sitting on who this week experienced a great tragedy at work. And you walked in and said, how you doing? You have no idea. There may be somebody on your road this week that, that, that just had a, a baby born into their family or they just got a big promotion at work and man, they're on cloud nine and, they're, and you don't even know what's going on. See, if all you do is come to this, you cannot live out sympathetic. You can't do it. You can never do enough life with somebody in this setting to know what's going on in their life. That's why we... Listen, small groups is not a program in the church. Small groups is who we are in Christ becoming Christ in us as we do life together. That's what Peter says right here. Be sympathetic. Share their hurts. Share their feelings. Share their pain. When, when we all, or excuse me, we all will experience seasons of great joy that we need to celebrate and great sorrow where we need to grieve. And when you do, not if, but when, you need others and others need you. You're going to go through some stuff. I'm going to go through some stuff. I need some people in my life that we can do life with. That can rejoice when I rejoice. That can hurt when I hurt. That's sympathetic. You hear what I'm saying here? This is not... Small groups isn't just something we do. It's who we are in Christ. When who we are in Christ becomes Christ in us. So, so here's a question I want you to think about. In the past month, who have you celebrated with? Who have you hurt with? Think back to the last month. We're almost <coughs> at the end of March. So in the month of March, who have you celebrated with? Who have you hurt with? Here's what Peter says. When who I am in Christ is becoming Christ in me, here's what it looks like. I'm going to share their hurts. I'm going to share their celebrations. My emotions and theirs are going to be intertwined. We're going to rejoice together. We're going to hurt together. We're going to cry together. Let me give you a third one. Be loving towards other believers. 
as who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, I will be loving. Look what he says. To sum up, be harmonious, sympathetic. Third word, brotherly. The word brotherly is the Greek word philadelphos. Sound familiar? We get an English word from it, the city of Philadelphia. What's Philadelphia? The city of what? Brotherly love. I've been there. I'm not sure, but that's at least what it says, right? It's what the word means. City of brotherly love. It's, it's, it, this word is a word that means to love one's brother. It's, it's affection among people who are closely related. Here's what I want you to hear. The church is not an event we attend. The church is a family to which we belong. Unfortunately, in our culture, we have this mindset that church is a place I go. Church is not a place I go. Church is a people to whom I belong. Church is a family. And as brothers and sisters in in Christ, we have one Father. God is our Father. And as who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, I will love the family of God. Let me simply say it this way. You can't love Jesus and not love his people. You can't. It's not possible. This, this love provides an internal witness. Let me show you 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Look at this verse. John says, we know. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. That's pretty simple, right? How do you know that you've been born again? Jesus changes the way you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You love them. It's an internal witness. Then there's an external witness. John 13, 34, look what it says. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. I think he's saying we should love one another, right? I mean, he he said it like three times in one sentence. But then look what he said. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. When who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, I begin to love. And listen, this kind of love is not just affection. This kind of love is love that's affection in action. One writer said that this love is demonstrated by unselfish service for one another. This is not my love. It's Christ's love in me, loving through me. God's love is an active love. Romans 5, 8. Listen to what it says. But God demonstrates. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word demonstrate there is present active. It means that God is in an ongoing, continuous way declaring and displaying his love for us. It's an active kind of love. So so let me ask you a question. Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ by selflessly serving them? Just think about the last week. Last seven days, how have you served another brother or sister in Christ? How have you loved them by serving them? Here's what Peter's saying. When who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, this is what it looks like. Jesus changes us. He changes us. I'll give you a fourth one. I'm to 
It's who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me. I'll be passionate about the growth of other believers. Look, look back at verse 8. Harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. Look at the next word. Kind-hearted. The word kind-hearted is an interesting word. It means to be, be, be so affected by the pain of somebody else, you feel it deeply. This Greek word here that we read is kind-hearted. It sounds so nice and clean. Actually, part of this word is the word in Greek. It's splagnon. The word splagnon, it sounds like what it means. It's your, it's your intestines. It's your bowels. It's the inside. Here's what he's saying. That, that this word is, is describing a compassion that, that I so identify that there's a hurt. There's an aching on the inside. You say, how does that mean that I'm passionate about others to grow spiritually? Well, here's what's interesting about this word. This word in its verb form is only used in the New Testament to, to refer to Jesus. And the gospel writers use this term 12 different times to describe Jesus' response to suffering, grief, and heartache caused by sin. This word describes the response of Jesus himself when he sees people broken by sin. Jesus <coughs> sees sin in the lives of others and it hurts him to the core of who he is. It's the verse in Matthew 6, we won't turn there, but in Matthew 9 where it says, seeing the people, he felt compassion. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion, same root word here for kind-hearted. It's that, that yearning on the inside. Jesus hurt for the spiritual condition of the people he saw. Here's the principle. When it's Christ in us, this word describes a deep sense of yearning. To see others grow in Christ's likeness. And a deep sense of burden when fellow believers are not growing this way. When we're really growing in Christ, we have a burden for the spiritual development of others. We don't just come in here all about me, what I need, what I need to hear, where I need to grow, where I need to get. When we grow in Christ's likeness, there's a yearning, there's a, a, a passion for the spiritual growth and development of of others. And this kind of compassion is more than just feeling sorry for where somebody is spiritually. It's a kind of compassion that is accompanied by a desire to get involved in the life of somebody else. Let me read you an example. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 verse 8. Listen to what Paul said. You hear this yearning in Paul. Look what he says. For God is my witness how I long for you all. With the affection of Christ Jesus. You hear this yearning in Paul? I'm longing for you. And this I pray, he says in verse 9, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. You hear Paul here? He is passionate about the spiritual development of these people. There's a hurting, a longing in Paul to see them grow. So here's the question. How are you involved in discipling others? You see, being a disciple means that you are discipling. If you're always in receiving mode, 
that says a lot about where your maturity is spiritually. Because the more you grow in Christ, you will begin to develop a burden for this. Now, again, this principle, it's hard to live this out without community. You can look around here and think everybody's spiritual, right? I mean, you don't know them well enough to not know. I mean, they look good on Sunday, right? They're smiling. They're saying amen at all the right places. But when you begin to do life with each other, you can begin to see into each other's lives spiritually. Then what happens is you begin to get a burden in Christ for them. And you take steps to get involved in their... And, and the same thing's happening to you. Others are taking steps to get involved in your life, right? It's, it's mutual. It's back and forth. Think about it this way. Name the people who are more in love with Jesus this year because of your involvement in their life last year. Who are the people that are walking more intimately with Jesus this year because out of a sense of burden, I invested time in their life last year And help them move along in their relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you what that is. Christ-likeness. It's who we are in Christ, becoming Christ in us. I'll give you a fifth one. Be humble towards other believers. It's who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me. I'll be humble towards other believers. Look at verse 8. Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Humble in spirit. This phrase means lowly in mind. It's the esteeming of ourselves small. I love C.S. Lewis. I think C.S. Lewis has the greatest quote ever written on humility. I'm going to put it on the screen. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. That's pretty good, isn't it? True humility is not thinking, woe is me, I'm bad. No, true humility is just thinking of yourself less, which means you're thinking of others more. And that's right in line with Paul's defining statement on humility in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Look at it on the screen. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. There's that phrase again. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That word look out there, it's the Greek word skopeo. We get an English word from it, the word scope. It's the idea of of living on the lookout for ways to make a difference in the lives of others in the body of Christ. That's humility. I'm always looking to serve somebody else. I'm always looking to help somebody else. I'm always looking to meet the need of somebody else. And here's what I want you to hear me say. That's who we are in Christ. Now, we're taught in our culture to live our lives looking out for number one, right? But when who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, I begin to live on the lookout for opportunities to make a difference in the lives of other people. So... Here's the question. Are you living like that? Are you living like that? Here's the last one. We'll we'll wrap up. When who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, I will be forgiving of other believers. Look at verse 9. 
not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Can I let you in on a secret? If you're a part of the body of Christ, you're going to get hurt. Let me tell you why. The body of Christ is made up of people. You get a bunch of people together, you're going to get hurt. I'm going to get hurt. You're going to get Listen, we're growing in Christ, but none of us are perfect. We said amen to that earlier. We're not perfect. So you get a bunch of imperfect people growing in Christ together, and you put them in groups where they're doing life together, and let me tell you what's going to happen. Listen, you and I are going to get hurt. Sometimes it's going to be with actions. He says, don't return (coughs) evil for evil. The word evil here is something done to you. Sometimes somebody or, or someone is going to do something to you that's wrong. Sometimes it's not going to be with actions. Sometimes it's going to be with words. That's where he says insult for insult. The word insult is something said about you. There are going to be times when you're doing life together in Christian community where somebody either does something to you or says something to you that hurts you. Listen to me. It is going to happen. If you heard me, say amen. Amen. I don't want you out there someday at Walmart saying, I don't go to that church anymore. They hurt me. I'm telling you, listen, you are going to get hurt. You put people together. Listen, go home tonight in your family, at your house. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to get hurt. Here's what Peter says. When who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, I don't give back that hurt. I don't return evil for evil or insult for insult. I give what they don't deserve. I bless them instead. Let me tell you something. You can't do that without forgiving them first. You say, but they hurt me. I know. I'm not, I'm not trying in any way to diminish the fact that you've been hurt. Listen to what Paul wrote to us in Ephesians 4. He said about forgiveness. That we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. Look at this. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Yay! <laughs> you say, how's that possible? I can't do it. I'm not God. You're not. But He lives in you. And Christ in you wants to manifest through you the same grace of forgiveness. Listen, I've hurt Him a thousand times. I've hurt Him a million times. And yet, forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. He desires, you say, surely there's a limit. Listen, that's what the disciples thought too when they heard it. 
Let me show it to you. Matthew chapter 18. Listen to what Peter said. Peter came and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Peter was kind of boasting, you know. I'll go all the way to seven. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said, I don't say up to seven times. Seventy times seven. Which is a statement of infinity. (laughs) He took Peter's number and he multiplied it to the tenth power and multiplied it by itself and said, I tell you what, let that be your mark. Here's what John MacArthur said. Record-keeping is not to be considered. He forgives the hundredth offense or the the thousandth just as readily and graciously as the first because that is the way he is forgiven. I want to put these statements up on the screen for us to close. I want you to look at this. It's who I am in Christ comes Christ in me. I'll be like-minded with other believers. I'll do life with other believers. I'll be loving towards other believers. I'll be passionate about the growth of other believers. I'll be humble towards other believers. I'll be forgiving of other believers. Listen, you're talking about changing a church. We let that be lived out in our fellowship. I want you to look at that. I know none of us look at that and go, Yep, I got all that covered. (laughs) But here's what I want you to hear. Am I more like that today than I was last month or last year or two years ago or five years ago? Is who I am in Christ becoming Christ in me? Is Jesus changing you, how you relate to one another, to your family, to the government, to society, to the world, to work? Is Jesus changing you? My prayer is that over these weeks in this series, you have heard some areas where God's really spoken into your life. Some areas where we've looked in the mirror and seen some things that need to change. Listen, hear me. You can't change them in your strength, but Christ in you can. He will change you. And that is who we are as the people of God. Changed by the life of Jesus.